Amen. I want us to just continue in worship for a moment, if I could. I want to read some scriptures. And I want you to just receive this. Those of you who are online right now, just receive this. You'll probably have some clue by the time I'm done what the message will be about today. And that's, that's my goal. Receive the word of God, church. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Proverbs 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Psalm 25, verse 8, the Lord leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James 4, 6 and 7, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Proverbs 18, verse 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Psalm 147, verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Isaiah 66, verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Lord, thank you for a wonderful time of worship, of getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. Lord, that by the power of your Spirit in this congregation to cultivate humility in our lives, Lord, you must increase and we must decrease. Do that work today, we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you agree with me, church, say amen. Let's try that again. If you agree with me, church, say amen. Amen, Amen. good. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Welcome to Harvest. Glad you're here.
We're continuing our series, Dare to be Different, and by now you probably know the topic that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about humility. I dare you to be humble, Harvest Decatur. I dare you to be humble. Someone asked the church father, Augustine, once, what was the first of the religious graces in Christianity? He answered, humility. Then they asked him, well, what's, what's the second? And he answered, humility. I said, well, what's the third? And he said, humility. The great Christian evangelist D.L. Moody, he said this. You can read this on the screen. He says, there is no harder lesson to learn than the lesson of humility. It is not taught in the schools of men. Only in the school of Christ. It is the rarest of all the gifts. Very rarely do we find a man or woman who is following closely the footsteps of the master in meekness and in humility. I dare you to be humble, Harvest Decatur. I dare you to be humble. Humble in your relationships with one another. Humble in your relationships with family members. Humble in your relationship with the world. And right now, even as I'm saying that, you might, you might say, well, good grief, Pastor Tony. Last week, you were all fired up about being convictional. Now you want us to be humble. You know, a few weeks ago, you were all fired up about us being truthful. And then the next week, you talked about us being loving. And then Paul got up here and talked about valuing brokenness. It's like, you want this, you want that, you want this, you want this. I'm all over the place. How do I put all these things together? And maybe you feel kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde after a while. I got to do this, I got to do that. I got to do this, and it feels like the opposite of that. If you feel like that this morning throughout our series, if you've felt like that as we've dared to be different, I sympathize with you. We are trying to thread a needle between truth and grace. You know what we're trying to do in this series? Can I just let you know what we're trying? We're trying to be like Jesus. And that's hard. That's really hard to balance grace and truth, to be both truthful and loving, to be both convictional and at the same time be humble about it. I gave you that illustration several weeks ago about the wires and the bottle you remember that illustration? The bottle is smashed, right? You got saved. You're no longer conformed by the world, but you're being transformed. And little by little, we're taking those wires and we're, we're transforming you. We're making you something different. I'm being transformed into something different. And you might say, well, what are we being transformed into? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we transforming those wires into? Who do we want to look like? Who do we want to be like? Who do we want to imitate? The answer is Jesus. We're trying to look like Jesus. We're trying to imitate our Savior imperfectly, but that's what we're going for. And Jesus was convictional. (sighs) He was convictional. But he was also humble. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let's be like Jesus today, Harvest Decatur. Who's all for that? I dare you to be humble. I dare you to be like Jesus. Let's talk humility. Here's the outline for this morning. I want to answer this question. What does biblical humility look like for a Christian? What does biblical humility look like for us as Christians? For answers to that question, here's the first. We have a proper estimation of ourselves. That's what humility is. We properly estimate ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said this once. He said, oh, vain man, why shouldst thou be proud? Think of our mortality. In a few more years, we shall be worms meat. Thanks a lot, C.S. Spurgeon. Caesar's dust shall be eaten, eaten by the basest of creatures. Take up the skull of some departed one in your hand and said, what had this man to be proud of? That sounds very Shakespearean, doesn't it? What does this man have to be proud of? Look on some body which has been buried but a little while. What a heap of loathsomeness. Thank you, C.S. Spurgeon. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon, for that. Now we're all depressed. Now we're all feeling bad about ourselves. Maybe, or maybe, here's the good that comes from that. We think about ourselves soberly, rightly. We don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, as the Apostle Paul says. There is that great moment in Shakespeare, if you remember, in Shakespeare's play Hamlet, where he takes the skull of the, the court jester, his friend Yorick, and then Hamlet holds up that, that skull and he starts to, to wax poetic about the brevity of life and about how fleeting and, and fragile this life is. Shakespeare gets it. He gets it. He understands that we are but dust. Now here I need to clarify something because last week I spent a lot of time talking about the Imago Dei, how we're made in the image of God and we cannot forget that. We are made in the image of God. That's where we derive our identity. I am made in the image of God and then we as Christians as well, we are the children of God, right? We call God Abba, Father. We are made in the image of God and we are children of God. Our, our, our identity needs to be anchored in that. I've already covered that. Our, we need to be grounded in that in terms of our identity. But, but I need to be clear this morning that there is a massive difference between being made in the image of God and being God. Is everybody with me? Those things are not even close to the same. We as human beings are made in the image of God. God is God, and those are so different. And what was the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What did they want to do? They wanted to usurp the authority of God. They wanted to be God and take control and ownership over their lives. How did that work out for them? Not well, and we've been trying to do that ever since. Here's a good humbling heart check for you. Psalm 103, verse 14, for the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God made man from the dust of the ground. God formed us from dirt. God handcrafted us from the earth of the ground. 
2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says that we are jars of clay. We are fragile earthen vessels. That's who we are. That's what we are. Does that hurt your feelings? Does that hurt your feelings this morning? Does that humble you? It should. And it's good to be humbled. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Job says this in the Old Testament, the book of Job, man is but born of woman, sorry, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Full of days, few of days and full of trouble. I say, that's depressing, Pastor Tony, that's depressing. No, it's not. It's, you know what it is? It's liberating. It's truth. It's freedom. I know who I am. I know my, my days are numbered. And, and can I just tell you, I have never met in my life a happy, prideful person. Never. You know, I, I've met a lot of humble people in my life, and I can't say they've all been happy, but there's a better chance of being happy in this life in humility than there is in pride. Prideful people are not happy. They're never content. And that's because they don't, they're not anchored to the truth of who they are. They are. You know why pride is so dangerous in our lives? You know why it's so counterproductive? Pride, pride is so dangerous because it's delusion. We think more highly of ourselves than we should. You know, people who think really highly of themselves are delusional because they're just, they're just one diagnosis away from being bedridden for the rest of their lives. They're just one artery clog away from being debilitated. We all are, right? How's your cholesterol this morning? How's it going? You never know. And we need to have a proper estimation of ourselves. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that we need to go around, you know, whipping ourselves with whips like monks. And every time we have a prideful thought, whoosh, whoosh, we don't need to do that. I don't think that's healthy either, to think more lowly of ourselves than we ought to think. We need to think soberly. We need to think rightly. Here's the point. I think humility, humility is not thinking more lowly of yourself than you ought to. And humility is not thinking more highly of yourself. It's thinking rightly. It's thinking soberly. In fact, I would say that the, the cure for a superiority complex is humility. But, but the, the cure for a superiority complex is not an inferiority complex. That's not better. The, the cure for an inferiority complex and a superiority complex is knowing who you are and, and being secure in who you are. I am a created being. And I have a creator and he is God. And I'm not God. Just remind yourself of that every day. That's a good reminder. I, knowing that about yourself, being truthful about that is, in, is incredibly liberating. Here's the balance, okay? Let's go for the balance. We are image bearers. We are made in the image of God. But without God, without our creator, we are literally nothing. We have no hope for the future. We have no eternity. God holds everything together in the palm of his hand. We are made in the image of God. That's where we derive our identity, but we are not God, and God is everything. And without him, we are nothing. That is the balance to strike in our lives. 
If you can find that balance, you'll get to a healthy place. Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So don't be, don't be prideful, church. Don't be arrogant. I dare you to be humble. Here's a great word for you. Be sober-minded. Y'all heard that word before? Be sober-minded. Have sober judgment about how God has created you and who you are. To be sober-minded means to be right-minded. It means to see things as they truly are soberly. It means to, to be of a sound mind, and it has the idea of, of self-control. So we don't let our mind get carried away with fancies and with fiction. Be sober-minded. Have a proper estimation of yourself. Write this down as number two, and this will help. What does biblical humility look like for a Christian? We have a proper estimation of ourselves. We also, we have a glorious estimation of God. Do you have a glorious estimation of God? Do your kids have a glorious estimation of God? Do you know who God is? Do you tell your kids who God is? Do your kids know that you know who God is? Let me tell you a little bit about the God of the universe. Can I do that this morning? This is church, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all heard that before? That's in the Bible. That's Genesis 1.1. The God of the universe created everything. He created everything in this world, and nothing in this world that was created was created apart from him. He created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. Here's how John says it. He says, all things are made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, verse 3. And actually, as John says that in his gospel, he's actually talking about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Who did that? Who created everything? And nothing was created without him. By the way, this is a good time to emphasize this. Our God is a Trinitarian God. He is three in one. Are you teaching your children this? He is one God and three members, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No other religion in the world worships a Trinitarian God. That is a Christian truth. That is a biblical truth. That is a Christian understanding that our God is a Trinitarian God. And each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, each of them is full of absolute power, full of absolute authority, and full of absolute sovereignty. And there are certain attributes, attributes of God that are limited to God and, and human beings can't even touch. They can't even get close to. They're called the incommunicable attributes of God. Theologians call these incommunicable attributes. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and we are not. Tell yourself this every day. God is omnipotent. I'm not. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, and human beings are not. God is omnipresent. He is not bound by time or space or matter. He created time and space and matter. God is infinite, God is sovereign, God is eternal and transcendent and imminent and immutable. He doesn't change. If these terms are new for you, go look them up and just revel in how awesome God is and how unawesome we are. 
These are his attributes and we can't even touch them. I actually heard John Piper say this last week in a podcast. Every day he gets on his knees and he prays to the Lord. Lord, I'm just here to remind myself right now that you are God and I'm not. I just, I just need that reminder. Every day he does that. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, is that, that's not really necessary. You know, we, we don't really need to do that. I don't really have that problem. If you're thinking that, it's because you don't know how gullible your own heart is. You don't know how susceptible we all are to thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So God has his in, incommunicable attributes. There's also communicable attributes. And communicable attributes like communicable diseases or things that we can catch. We can catch these attributes from God. But God demonstrates them perfectly. We demonstrate them imperfectly. For example, there's holiness. Is our God a holy God? Can we be holy? Yeah, but not like him, right? In fact, yeah, God tells us to be holy for I am holy. Be holy as I am holy, but we can't be like that perfectly. Here's another example of a communicable attribute of God, love. Is our God a loving God? Our God is perfectly loving and perfectly forgiving and perfectly kind, and we are not, but, but we can be loving. And actually, God has called us to love others like he loved us. I think a lot of our battle with pride in our lives just boils down to this. We don't think highly enough about God. And so we start to think of ourselves too much or think too highly of ourselves. And, and, you know, if we just stop from time to time throughout our, the busyness of our day when we're kind of just enthralled with me, 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 I got so much going on, me, 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 I got so much to do. We just stopped every once in a while and said, hmm, you know, I, God is sovereign. I'm not. That, that is super healthy, by the way. Just to say that to yourself. God is sovereign. I'm not. Whew. Glad that's the case. Because if I'm trying to be sovereign here, it's not working out great. Just stop and say, hmm, you know, God is omnipotent, I'm not. God is all-knowing, I'm not. That really takes the pressure off. And I think the key to number one, we have a proper estimation of ourselves. I think the key to number one is number two. We have a glorious estimation of God. I think maybe even I got those points backwards. Maybe I should have started with number two first. You have the right estimation of God if you think on him, if you dwell on his goodness, on his greatness, on his communicable, incommunicable attributes. You'll be surprised how much that humbles you. And you just start to dwell on, boy, God is way more awesome than I am. And that's healthy. And to think, can I blow your minds this morning? Everybody ready? And to think that you're awesome, glorious God, infinite and immutable and transcending space and time, he took on human flesh and he came to earth as a baby in this world, born to die for the sins of man. Your God did that for you. Don't ever stop marveling at that. Jesus, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, 
on a donkey, people. And then a few days later, he died a gruesome death to pay for your sin. What an awesome, glorious God we serve that he was willing to do that for us. More than we can even realize. Do you know what the cure for pride in this world is? I'll just tell you what the cure for pride is. It's truth. It's the truth about who we are and the truth about how awesome God is. And I'll just tell you too, Christianity, Christianity is the only religion in the world that requires you to humble yourself in order to be saved. Do you know that? It requires humility. Because if you boil down the other religions of the world, they're, they're basically this. I've talked about this before, so this is review for many of you as we work through the book of Romans. But and the rest of the religions of the world boil down to do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. You've got to do this and do this and earn favor with God. And then, you know, you get to the end of your life. You've done the right things. You didn't do the wrong things. Then who gets the credit for that? Who gets the, look at me, look at me. I did the right things. Look at me, look at me. All praise to me. Christianity doesn't work that way. You know what Christianity says? You got nothing. You got nothing to offer the Lord. You have to accept that. You have to humble yourself and say, I got nothing, Lord. I receive what you did for me. And that's how we're saved. And to be honest, outside of Christianity, there's not a great value placed on humility. This is, this is kind of a Judeo-Christian talk. Nobody talks like this in other religions or throughout human history. You can read this on the screen. Here's what the Tyndale Bible Dictionary says about this. It says, outside of the Bible, outside of biblical faith, humility in this sense would not usually be considered a virtue. And that goes back to even Greek writers, Plato and Socrates and others. Within the context of the Judeo-Christian tradition, however, humility is considered the proper attitude of human beings towards their creator. Humility is a grateful and spontaneous awareness that life is a gift. And it is manifested as an, under, as an ungrudging and unhypocritical acknowledgement of absolute dependence upon God. There's this great scene in Pilgrim's Progress. Y'all remember Pilgrim's Progress, right? John Bunyan's great work. There's this scene where these, these two dopey characters named Formalists and hypo, uh, Hypocrisy. They try to jump a wall and then get on to this road that leads to the celestial city. Do y'all remember that? Go and refresh that with your kids tonight if you want to. And, and these guys that jump the wall and try to get on the road, they, they didn't go through the gate like you were supposed to, to get on the road to the celestial city. So they, they climb over this wall, and then when they, they get down, Christian's like, what are you guys doing? You gotta go through the gate. You gotta go through Jesus to get on this road. They're like, no, 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 Christian. We know what we're doing. We, this is a shortcut. We're taking a shortcut, so just get out of our way. And they do that, and it leads right to their destruction. You know where those... Two people, formalist and hypocrisy, are from the city where they're from. They're from the city of vain glory. And that's John Bunyan's little way of telling you that you can't get saved by being vain glorious or by trusting in your own works or being a formalist in terms of following the law and accomplishing it in your own power. The only way that you can get saved is by going through the gate 
is by going to Christ Jesus. You've got to humble yourself and say, I got nothing. And you turn to the Lord. Another Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, he said this. You can read this on the screen. He said, humility is not a mere ornament of a Christian, but an essential part of the new creature. It is a contradiction to be a sanctified man or a true Christian and not humble. Go ahead and write this down as number three in your notes. As Christians, we need to have a proper estimation of ourselves. We need to have a glorious estimation of God. Thirdly, we need to mortify our human pride. We need to mortify our human pride. The best statements about pride and humility in the Bible, I think, are found in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. So let me just read a few of these Proverbs. You can read these on the screen even as I read them. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction. Pride comes before a fall, right? And a haughty spirit before a fall. I quoted that verse to my basketball teammates when I was in high school. I just said it out loud one day, and they're like, wow, that's amazing, that's brilliant. Where'd you get that? I got it from the Bible, you know, Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. In fact, Solomon connects humility, this, this great evidence of even saving faith in Christ. He connects humility to the fear of the Lord. And he says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. When you get that sorted out, when you truly understand how powerful God is, and how awesome God is, and, and fear Him like you should, when you truly fear God like you should, then you're on the road to humility. Inevitably, that produces humility in your life. That's what Proverbs teaches. I remember several years ago when uh, Michael Jordan got inducted into the Hall of Fame. This is like 2009, so this is like 12 years ago. I remember as he got inducted, I, I was thinking in that moment, like, here, this is the GOAT. This is the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan, he's amazing. And, you know, and, and then as he was being inducted with a few other people, they, they were showing highlights of all of his play. And, you know, I, I was old enough, I'm old enough to, to see. I saw Michael Jordan play, and he was amazing in his prime. And they showed all these highlights, and he's just like, wow, he's amazing, he's amazing. And, and then Michael Jordan, after these highlights were shown, he got up and he gave this induction speech for the Hall of Fame. And can I just tell you something? His induction speech was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, he insulted other people, and then he, he demeaned his family. It's like, oh. And what was so sad about it, this was in 2009, he got inducted with other good athletes who weren't, as successful as him, on the court anyway, David Robinson and John Stockton. And these other people had better speeches and were at least more dignified with what they said. And it's just a reminder how pride comes before a fall and 
Here, let me be careful with this because before I start pointing the finger at Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, or some other celebrity, some other superstar, you point a finger at someone else. Y'all heard this before? You got three fingers pointing back at you. That's like, that's like the modern equivalent of Jesus. You know, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's eye. You know where pride is found? You know where it's found? It's not found out there. Pride is found right here in every human heart. And I'm as susceptible to it as Michael Jordan or anybody else. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says this, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, the proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And I'll just tell you too, you know, the, the devil is sneaky good at getting us to be prideful. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden, by the way. He's really good at it. There's this famous moment in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters where I think it's letter 15, but um, if you've ever read the book, it's, it's one demon writing letters to another demon. It's fiction, but it's incredibly insightful. And so one of the demons, the senior demon, Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, and here's what he says to Wormwood. Here's how he encourages him to tempt his patient, the human patient, by pointing out how humble he's being. So in other words, you know, try to get him to think about how humble he's being, and then we can make him prideful. Here's what Screwtape says. He says, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection. By Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. Isn't that sneaky? You know, you know who I want to be like? Full transparency. I want to be like those people in this world who don't even think about these things. You know who the most humble people are? In my experience, they're the people that are so enamored with the Lord. They so love other people. They so love God. They so, they so love the Bible. They don't even think about it, about the humility they exude the love for others that they, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be that, that person, you know, going into a place and thinking to myself, am I being humble enough? I'm not being humble enough. Am I coming across humble? Maybe I need to don't tone this down a little bit. Maybe I need to tone it up a little bit. Maybe I'm being too humble. Does anybody else have neurosis like this, like me, like your pastor? I don't want to be that way. I don't. One of my prayers is, Lord, take these neurotic tendencies away from me. Take this pathological thing and let me just rest in who I am and who you are and just exude humility naturally. As if, you know, it's a fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit has produced inside of me. Which you know it is. God help us with that. And then one more thing. 
One more answer to that question, what does biblical humility look like for a Christian? Here's what it looks like. You can write this down as number four in your notes. We boast in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We boast in our Savior. And, you, and, you might, and to that you might say, wait, Pastor, boast? Wait, 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 boast? Pastor Tony, isn't that the opposite of humility? Isn't that prideful to boast? Well, yeah, it is prideful if you boast in yourself. Totally. And, you know, can I just let you know, when we do boast in ourselves, it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Look how awesome I am. Look at me. Wow. It's not really that impressive. It's kind of embarrassing. And, may, and maybe you are amazing right now. Maybe you do have something to boast about. Maybe you're 18 years old, you're in the prime of life, and you've never looked better. Well, let me just tell you that time will catch up with you. Time and gravity will catch up with you. Take it from a 42-year-old. Some of you out there are like, you ain't seen nothing yet, Pastor Tony. So, yeah, don't boast in yourself. That's not all that impressive. You know who you're supposed to boast in? You know who the Bible actually commands you to boast in? I love it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That statement was so good, Paul said it twice. In the scriptures. He said it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And in both of those cases, he's actually quoting an Old Testament passage, the prophet Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says this. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Let the wise man, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice. Kaiukomai in Greek. You can translate that word boast. More than that, we boast. That's the same Greek word that Jeremiah, that's translated into the LXX of Jeremiah, the Greek translation of Jeremiah. Kaukamai, boast. More than that, we also, Kaukamai, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Boast in, I dare you to be boastful, Harvest Decatur. I dare you to boast in this, to boast in Christ. Paul says elsewhere, even more explicitly in Romans chapter 15, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud. Can I be proud, Pastor? Can I be proud, really? As a Christian? Sure you can. Just be proud of the right things. Just be proud of the right, for the right reasons. In Christ Jesus, then, I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. 
For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. I dare you, Harvest Decatur, to be boastful. You didn't think this sermon was going to go this way, did you? I dare you to be boastful in Christ Jesus. Don't be timid about your faith in Christ. Don't be shy about your affiliation with Jesus Christ. Forget timidity. Forget shyness. Boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in your, I dare you to be humble and I dare you to boast in Jesus Christ. People come to you and say, what's the hope that you have? Don't look at me, look to him. I am nothing, I am nothing without God. But I am made in the image of God and I am a child of God through my faith in Jesus Christ. I boast in him. I think John the Baptist said it best. John the Baptist got this. What did he say? He said, he must increase. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. There you go, folks. That's humility. I dare you to be humble like John the Baptist. He must increase. We must decrease. I'll close with this. Everybody get enough on humility this morning? Did you know? Let me just seal the deal for you this morning. Sonia and Alistair and I, we've, I guess Alistair's kind of reached the age now where we all listen to the same music, you know, which is fun because, you know, I know some of you have little ones and you, you don't listen to the same music and you're kind of maybe envious of me because I get to do that. Well, it's coming. The day will come. And we've been listening lately to this band that we all love called Citizens. I've mentioned them before and and I love the music that these guys produced. It's a band from Seattle, Washington. And one of their songs really captures what I'm trying to say this morning. Actually, when my dad was here last week, Alistair and I, we were kind of working on him, like trying to get him excited about this band, like playing it for him. Like, hey, dad, check this out. This is good. And he, he just wasn't into it, you know. He'd rather listen to Simon and Garfunkel or something else, you know. We actually did get him hooked on Andrew Peterson, though. So that was, that was a big success with my dad this last week. So. But the citizens, they have this song called Joy to Be that I think perfectly captures what I'm trying to say in this message. This song could have been written by John the Baptist. And what I love about the song is not only this call for us to decrease and for Christ to increase, but one of the things that they allude to in this song is that in our de decrease and in Christ's increase, there is joy to be found in that. It's as if our deepest joy, our greatest contentment is found when we get low and humble ourselves, and Christ elevates. And even as they sing this song, that resonates with my own experiences. Yeah. I'm the best in terms of health and joy when I'm low and Christ is high. Here's what they write. 
Oh, the joy to be, the joy to know, it's when I decrease, you fill up my soul. What a joy to see, a joy to hold, it's when you increase. I want nothing more. Open my hands. Humble my heart. All that I have is yours. Color my prayers. Widen my eyes. Wash me in glorious light. Hasten my ears. Bridle my tongue. Focus my heart to hear. Settle my pace. Purge me of pride. Again and again you provide. Oh, the joy to be, the joy to know. It's when I decrease, you fill up my soul. What a joy to see, the joy to hold. It's when you increase, I want nothing more. God, help us to be humble. Can I, I'm done, I'm mostly done, but I'm not done yet. Okay, just give me a second here. It's like mostly dead, right? The Princess Bride, I'm, I'm mostly done, but I'm not totally done. Can I just give you a little piece of advice as we finish? This is me being as pastoral as I can be. Get some people in your life. Get your small group together. Some men that you trust, women that you trust. And tell them, if you ever see me being prideful, or conceited, or haughty, or puffed up. If you ever see that in my life, will you call me out on that? Will you call me out on the carpet? Will you help me to mortify the prideful tendencies I have in my life? Get some people you trust and ask them to do that. You do that for them and have them do that for you. Do it for the sake of our church. Do it for the sake of your family. Do it for the sake of your soul. I dare you to be humble, Harvest Decatur. Pray with me. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before you, to be used for your purposes. Help us to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. Help us to be convictional and humble. Help us to be truthful and loving. Help us to be full of grace and truth like Jesus Christ, our our Savior. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.